Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. You are listening to episode 200 of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited that we have been in this journey together. If you could have seen me, I have the biggest smile because I received so many emails from you guys about the podcast episode that you found useful after I announced that I'm, I'm collecting this information the last couple episodes. And thank you so much for every single one of you that reached out and shared your favorite episodes. I'm recording this at 5 p.m. on Friday because I started working on this from the morning and uh, listening to previous episodes reminded me of what a wonderful journey we've been on together. And if you have been a long-term listener or you recently joined us, but you enjoy the content of this show, it means a lot to me if you take a moment and write us a review in iTunes. I even feel a little bit embarrassed asking for that, but truly it will make a difference because it will help us to rank higher and to reach a broader audience. So I went through all the emails that you guys sent me. I chose 10 of the advices, 10 of the episodes that was voted as most useful. I took out the parts that the episode that you guys sent me about the solo episode that I've done because I feel kind of awkward saying that this this was a wonderful advice given by me. So if you were one of those people that sent me like the information about some, one of those solo episodes, I didn't include it just because it feels awkward. But I chose the rest of the content and curated it based on your feedback. So without further ado, here are the advices. So the first advice come from Dr. Looney Barback. She's a clinical social psychologist. She authored many, many books that probably many of you guys have read for yourself, for each other, uh, The Erotic Edge, The Pause and Going the Distance. And recently she developed Happy Couple, a Relationship Game app. In this clip, she talks about sexual compatibility. Okay, well, chemistry obviously is a big one. Another one is that, you know, we're, we're as different sexually as we are kind of in the clothes that we wear or the way we style our hair or our political leanings. We're each very individual. And, and it's just like you may find somebody who's incompatible with you in terms of one person just loves sports and the other person really would rather read a book. So it's hard for them to find things to do together. Well, it's the same is true in the bedroom. So areas of incompatibility that are problematic for couples, one of them is if there's a large discrepancy in their desire for sex. Now, there's no normal frequency for people to have sex. Some people like having sex once a month, less often, once a week. Some people like having sex a few times a day. But you have a problem if you have two people together where one person wants sex once every week, let's say the other person wants sex a couple of times a day. And that is, that's a very large discrepancy in their interests. So it's difficult for them to meet both of their needs. So that, that's really a problem. And, and, you know, that, you know, different hormonal balances or physical stamina, health, stress, the importance of sex can all affect how often 
people want sex. And also, you know, sexual styles are very different. I had, I had one couple I worked with where his idea of good sex was like a puppy dog romping around and playing and laughing. And her idea of sex was a like a medieval drama. <laughs> and their styles were so different that when they couldn't, one was not getting aroused when the other one was. And there was nowhere for them to meet in the middle. So, you know, someone likes intense, fast sex, somebody else likes slow, really languid sex. I mean, as a, a you know, I'm not, not that there's not a variety in lovemaking, but as a, as a course of what is most arousing. Um, some people like role playing and acting out fantasies and dressing up or, or talking during sex. And some people don't like to talk during sex or some people like dirty words and some people don't. You know, it, it depends upon, you know, again, it's a fit so that the two people find that they have their sexual interest in common, just as you would look for other kinds of interests in common. Next, we have episode 153 with Dr. Allison Ash. She talked about elements of seduction. Dr. Ash is a sex and intimacy coach and educator, lecturer at Stanford University, author and founder of TurnOn.Love. You want to know that there's some flirty energy. I talk about what escalation patterns look like and I break down how to, how to create intensifying levels of both physical and uh, non-physical, so non-verbal and verbal ways of escalating. So where are kind of like level one places to touch versus level two, meaning more intimate versus level three? And Mm -hmm. how do you do like a grazing touch versus a lingering touch, right? So these are different ways of escalating. Mm -hmm. Also remembering that seduction isn't something that just happens when you're first meeting someone or in the first few stages of a relationship that we want to seduce our partners the entire way through. Right, mm-hmm. that we're demonstrating that we have desire for them and that we're willing to initiate, mm-hmm. but also that we can attune and that we're willing to navigate consent with mm-hmm. consideration and that we're understanding what our partner's turn ons are, but also able to read their mood. Next clip comes from Caitlin V. She's a sex and relationship coach who helps men become amazing lovers and incredible partners. In this episode, she talks about a tip that can help you to last longer. So I like to start with the breath. And the reason that I start here, there's so many benefits to just learning how to breathe correctly. The core of the breath that I teach is just breathing into the belly. So most of us, we're walking around all day, every day, whether that's going to work or, you know, I live in a city, so there's constantly things happening around me. There's tons of people, there's ambulances all the time. I'm kind of surprised we haven't heard one uh, <laughs> since we've started <laughs> recording. Um, and so we're, we're constantly surrounded by stress, you know, uh, things that allude to danger. And even even if we live a relatively stress-free life, we still are not taught how to breathe correctly. And so we're most of us walking around with shallow, short breaths that stay up towards the upper third of our lungs. And so when we learn how to breathe correctly, breathe into our belly, breathe all the way down as deeply into our lungs as possible, we actually change the amount of oxygen 
oxygen that we're able to absorb into our body and into our blood. It changes our emotional and mental state and our physical state. And I'll save the sort of like longer anatomical explanation, but the truth is when you take belly breaths, deep slow, steady breaths, you actually activate an entirely different nervous system that is closely associated with your genitals and with sexual pleasure. And you can actually immediately, immediately access longer times to ejaculation. This next one is one of my favorite by Dr. Kat Meyer. She's a licensed couple therapist, sex therapist, yoga instructor, published researcher, and Reiki practitioner. You can find her at love.body. One of my favorite strategies that have helped elevate my embodiment and sexuality has been mirror work. Anytime we do something in which we can be the viewer receiving our own self can be a powerful expansion of our self-love and sexuality. I recommend for mild spice, seduce yourself in the mirror with a dance or a look, close on, close off, or even a strip tease. For a hotter spice, Try self-pleasuring in front of the mirror. Or if you have a partner, set up a mirror to have sex in front of and get into the enjoyment of watching yourself in pleasure. Next, I chose an episode by Emily Nagoski. She's the award-winning author of New York Times bestseller, Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life. She talks about if you are in a relationship that there is a desire discrepancy, there are things you can do to address it. Women just have sex because their partner expects it or because they otherwise feel obliged or like they're supposed to. And if we believe that sex is supposed to happen in a certain way, like we're supposed to just spontaneously out of the blue feel horny and that's not a thing for you, then it's really easy to sort of give up in frustration and just assume that sex is not a thing that happens for your body. And that is not at all true. A large proportion of women rarely or never experience that spontaneous out of the blue, just sort of like, oh, I would really like to have some sex kind of feeling. If you're a person who doesn't have that very often, that's okay. What you do is you set up a time with your partner, you put your body in the bed, you let your skin touch your partner's skin, and you do some things that you do find pleasurable, even if that's just holding each other for three minutes, just letting your skin touch your partner's skin, letting your body and mind wake up to the knowledge that, oh, right, I really like this person and I really enjoy these sensations. You let the desire emerge in response to the pleasure. I have, I will say that I've, I was talking to some friends, we were sitting in a bar having drinks and they were like, so Emily, how do we sustain a strong sexual connection over multiple decades? They were parents of two very small children and they're experiencing the difficulties that most couples experience when they have very small children. And I said this thing about like, you put your body in the bed and you let your skin touch your partner's skin. And one of the partners literally cringed away from the table, like, uh, at the idea of her skin touching her partner's skin. And I was like, okay, so that right there is your problem. It's not low desire. It's lack of pleasure, not just lack of pleasure. It's active dread. There's something that you're worried about happening when you touch your partner that is the thing that's getting in your way. 
So I have actually seen therapists and coaches do this really beautiful exercise where they have two partners stand up and create as much distance between their bodies as the lower interest person needs to feel really safe and comfortable being in the same room. Um, And sometimes they just take like one or two steps back and there's a few feet of space. But I have seen the low desire partner take 20 feet, create 20 feet of space between them and their partner. And it is quite a moment for the higher desire partner to see how much space their partner needs in order to feel okay and safe. Like there's not going to be any pressure for them to do things that they're not into. And that is not a hopeless case. That's a case where people actually do find their way back to each other. What makes it difficult is that you can't just move closer together when that much space has been created because that space is crowded. It is full of all the weeks or months or sometimes years of misunderstandings and poor communication and judgment and blame. And if you really loved me, you would. And if you loved me, you wouldn't pressure me. And all the fear, like if you reject me, that means you don't love me. And I'm rejecting the sex, not you. I still love you. But the more you push me, the less comfortable and safe I feel. Like all these tangled knots that they've built between them. And they have to spend time sort of untangling all those knots and gradually making their way closer and closer back together. Next one is about how you can have great sex in long-term relationship with Dr. Steven Snyder. This was episode 187. Dr. Snyder is a physician, sex therapist, relationship therapist. He has dedicated his entire career to helping individuals and couples with sex and relationship concerns. What you're going to be doing with your partner may be the exact same thing. And it's the exact same person, but you're a different person. You know, it's like the old saying, you never step in the same river twice because you're a different person. So it's not that your partner is different or your partner is unknown to you. It's that you're a different person and which what inspires you on a particular day may be different from what inspired you the day before. I actually go in a fairly radical direction in my book, which I've gotten in a lot of trouble about because I'm a religious person and uh, religion has gotten kind of a bad name in uh, mental health in general because it's associated with repression and shame and all that stuff. But I think there's some virtue in religion because religious people go through the same kind of problem in terms of finding inspiration after they've been within a religious framework for a long, long time. And the things that initially inspired you may not inspire you anymore. And so The question is, where do you find inspiration? And the answer is, you don't know. And so basically what you want to do in a religious context is you open yourself to inspiration. That's, you know, more or less what prayer represents. It says, I'm I'm open to it. Here I am. I'm open to inspiration. And my suggestion for somebody who's of that turn of mind is when you're with your partner, it's the same thing. You collect yourself You're there and you're open to inspiration. You don't know where it's going to come from. You don't know whether it's going to be the scent of their hair or a memory about them from 10 years ago or this way uh, hurt their skin feels or perhaps the sound of their voice. And you're just registering all these things and you're just being aware of all these things. And you figure, hmm, maybe at some point I'll receive some inspiration. And that's not something I can control. All I can do is be receptive to it and open to it. So it's that attitude of receptiveness and openness. And what that 
in, in what I do with it in my book is kind of the leading edge in sex therapy these days is the mindfulness revolution, which says that there are basically two modes of being uh, for humans. There is uh, thinking and doing on the one hand, and on the other hand, awareness. And we're pretty much in the thinking and doing mode all the time. So it's very useful in preparation for sex to shift into awareness mode. Yoga is a fabulous thing to do before sex. Next clip is from Dr. Tammy Nelson. She's a board-certified sexologist and certified sex therapist, as well as relationship therapist and author of several books for couples. She also has this wonderful podcast called The Trouble With Sex. She talks about infidelity. And you can't blame your partner. If you're the one who cheats, you know, like my latest book, When You're the One Who Cheats, I say you can never blame your partner for the fact that you had an affair because people don't necessarily look to find someone to cheat with. They look, they don't look to, to find a new person. They look to be a new person. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, so no matter what's happening at home, when you're the one who's cheating, you become a different person when you're with your outside partner. So the goal really is to be that other person in that relationship. You're craving for whatever reason, like you said, a new identity or to explore a new part of yourself. It's, you know, developmentally something that is trying to be created, something that's trying to come out, something that's trying to be visited. And that part of you has not necessarily anything to do with your marriage. The part that has to do with your marriage is why... Do you think that you can't be that part of you in your marriage? Mm-hmm. Are you blaming your partner saying, well, she won't let me be that at home or he's not into that or she never listens to me or he doesn't like to have sex that way or like what is the story you're making up about why you can't be your whole self at home? Because that may or may not be true, but it is an issue that you have to talk about if you're planning on staying together after an affair because somehow you have to integrate all of you into the marriage or else you're going to feel like, okay, well, I'll end the affair and I'll shut down that part of myself, but I will always resent you that I can't be my whole self with you. Well, if you are struggling with talking about what you want and your sexual fantasy, then this next clip is for you. This comes from the episode titled How to Overcome Sexual Shyness with Dr. Carol Quinn. Carol Quinn is an American author, editor, sociologist, and sexologist active in sex-positive feminist movement. So I think the first thing that a person can do is whether they're in a relationship that they want to add to or whether they're a solo person who wants to add possibility to their future sex life is go to their own responses and fantasies. What what erotic material have they seen or read that they responded to strongly? What do they fantasize about? What, what seems intriguing to them? Because there are so many possibilities that bringing it to that core response is a really good place to start. So then there are are two more really important steps and and they could be conducted. They don't have to be linear. I don't think one of them is to speak to their partner if they have one and to 
to, to just start talking about what else, you know, I, I love what we do or what we do can no longer satisfy us for a variety of reasons. What else can we do? What could we add? What could we substitute? Whatever their need is and desire is. And, and get their partner to start thinking in this more open way, which they may already be doing. Sometimes two partners are fantasizing like crazy, and they're afraid to talk to one another about what they're saying and thinking. All of their friends outside drinking wine at night may know all about the fantasy, but their partner might not know. So bring it to your partner if you've got one. And then, or when you're, you know, when you're swiping right, you'll, you'll begin to know what to say with a new person that you might be meeting for the first time. But also educate yourself about what it is. Are there safety angles to what you might want to try to do? Are there, are there, sort of special tools and toys? Do you need to get a special outfit? Do you need to, you know, practice your persona? Do you need to like work up your skill in some particular way? You know, people who are afraid to try a new thing sometimes are simply worried that they're not going to be that good at it to begin with. Like people who hesitate to do oral sex with their partner. A lot of times it's simply... I don't think I'm really as good at that as maybe somebody that my partner has experienced before. I'm just not going to try it. Next, we have episode 139 with Dr. Ari Tuckman. Ari is a psychologist and also author. He wrote multiple books, the recent book titled ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationship. In this episode, and this clip specifically, he talks about how can you work on your sex life outside the bedroom. Managing your life well is foreplay. You know, like dealing with all the daily stuff is what kind of gets us in the mood. And for our couples with ADHD, where our couples where 1% has ADHD, Managing that well, putting in the effort, being a good partner in multiple ways makes the sex better also. And it makes a relationship overall better. And, you know, when I paid some stats guy to do a bunch of really scary statistical number crunching that I wanted no part of, you know, when we looked at what separated the happiest couples, like in relationship wise, sexually, it came down to a bunch of different variables that basically all had to do with being a good partner, being a good team member. And, you know, so sometimes that means doing the dishes, even though you don't feel like it. And sometimes it means, you know what, honey, I'll do it. Like, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And if I feel like there's balance in our relationship, I'm glad to do it. And if I feel like there is not balance, like really, again, I'm doing the freaking dishes, you know, like seriously, now I'm resentful and now we've got a problem, you know? So, so it's about balance, it's about fairness, and it's about having the right expectations. This last one is my absolute favorite. And I'm kind of surprised that this is my favorite. If you know me, I know, like, you know that I'm very into 
evidence-based, science-based approaches. But this clip has come from a conversation I had with Barbara Corrales on tantric orgasm. And Barbara is the founder of Urban Tantra. She's the author of Urban Tantra, Sacred Sex for 21st Century. She talks about orgasmic prayer. My simple version of it is really like orgasmic prayer. And it all started early on in my tantric practice, actually even a little bit before that, when I was a student and friend of the metaphysical teacher, Louise Hay. And many years ago, in the middle of the AIDS crisis, she was suggesting not only that we love ourselves and teaching us how, but that we also send love ahead of us to someone or some place on the planet that needed love. It was a lovely personal, you know, kind of embodied prayer, and I liked it a lot. So me, being an overachiever, thought, oh, instead of just love, what if I said orgasms? <laughs> I'm sure you're more welcome, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in that moment, I thought I discovered sex magic because that's how humans are. <laughs> but in fact, I did not discover sex magic. I did not discover dedicated orgasms. They've been going on for ages. However, what I found when I dedicated orgasms, and by dedicated orgasms, I mean like setting an intention, and I'm going to tell you how to do that in a second, setting an intention that I wanted to send the orgasm and the love to, and then being very clear about that, and then letting it go, and then raising the sexual energy with a partner, with myself, with a group, whatever. And maybe at the end, at the peak, sometime just after orgasm or in the afterglow, touching upon my intention one more time. It isn't like making love while only thinking about your intention. Mm-hmm. That would get weird. <laughs> so how do you set your intention? This is really the, the specific part, the part you need to pay attention to. I'm, I'm sure you know how to raise sexual energy, and you can do it in any way you want. Setting the intention matters. You want to have the clearest vision of what you want possible. You do not want to send prayers and orgasms to what you don't want. Now, if you want a specific model Mercedes, you probably know what that car looks like. Mm -hmm. You probably know what it smells like. You're probably pretty familiar with that car. So holding that image is not so very difficult Mm -hmm. because you've been focusing on that. And it's, and it's, it's a good thing. If you are sending sexual energy to a friend for healing, to a friend in chemotherapy, it can be much harder to see them well. Or if you're sending it to heal, to stop the war in Syria and to restore Syria to its former glory, it's much harder to see that. Mm -hmm. So before you start flinging orgasms at what you don't want, it's important to spend some time in meditation about what your friend looks like healthy or what Damascus would look like with people on tree-lined streets, sipping coffee in cafes, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And when you have those more complex visions of health and peace, what I like to do, because they're hard to hold on to, is to put them in a symbol, like, for instance, a heart, an infinity symbol, a circle, a spiral, 
some symbol that's easy for the primitive brain to remember. And I just focus on that symbol when I'm going to send my energy, Mm -hmm. the heart, the infinity sign. And, and that's my focus and it contains my vision because I think it's really, really important mm-hmm. to, in all our prayers, however we do them with or without sexual energy, to, there's so much going on in the world right now that is just an argument. <laughs> you know? And we're, it's so easy to focus on what we don't want. What they want is bad, you know? <laughs> I learned this, my first sex magic project that went on for months, well, years, I think, was I sent orgasms and prayers to end apartheid. And what's cool about doing it for a cause that's bigger than yourself, not that you can't do it for you, was that I ran into all sorts of real world ways to help. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of like what you think about you attract. So I attracted all sorts of concrete ways that were right in my face in New York City to work some good to change things for the better in South Africa. Well, we'll definitely in the world that we all can benefit from sending orgasmic prayers all around. And I love the idea of uh, intention setting and dedicating the orgasm to someone else. I think it's just such a wonderful, marvelous way of looking at these practices. Anyhow, I just wanted to say how grateful I am for every single one of you guys and how much I love and appreciate you for listening to this show. If you haven't downloaded our list of activities that you can do to spice up your relationship, you can find the free download in the show notes and I will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.